Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Den här podcasten presenteras av Sonos. Those are very nice boots. Made out of a real Italian man. Beautiful Italian man was made out of them. Do you have any uh, tequila? This interview is encroaching on cocktail hour. My wife's grandmother's piano. Really? Yeah, we inherited it when she died. I mean, it sound, this, the high C, it sounds beautiful in this room. I was walking around earlier and um, without, without much to do. And I was dying to talk uh, about myself for a few hours with real no recourse. And I just was uh, randomly thrown into a van and I woke up in this apartment with a slight metallic taste in my mouth and a Band-Aid on my temple. And uh, this man, Frederick Straga, took my uh, took the duct tape off my wrists very gently. He soaked them for a good twenty minutes in soapy water because I have very hairy wrists. And um, he, so now, uh, now I'm here in front of this microphone in a whimsical um, adults' playroom, and uh, I think this is going to work out. I don't have any intention of leaving. There's cookies and tequila here. What else could I possibly need out of life? Yeah, those are gingerbread cookies and the glasses. Oh, Frederick, hello. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Come on in. (laughs) Can we do sound effects? I see some Alan Moore up there. Do you have any swamp thing up there? Do you have like the full Alan Moore or do you just have the wannabe Watchmen and From Hell? 
Just I, I don't have the swamp thing, but I have... The real heads have swamp thing. <laughs> I, I would rather say that the real heads have a Promethea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's more hardcore, because Swamp Thing is kind of old school, but if, know, you, if you're into yeah. his new stuff... So yeah. Alan Moore, of course, is the comic book writer who... Yeah. That I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Have, did you, uh, have, you, have you bought and pretended that you've read Jerusalem yet? I haven't. <laughs> please tell me about Jerusalem, because I, I don't really know much about it. I have not even cracked... The sp- I have not o- opened it. So what's that book about? I have no idea. I have not read even The Dust Sleeve. I couldn't tell you what it's about. I have no idea what the, what the plot points of Jerusalem are. I couldn't. If you put a gun to my head, I'd be a dead man. <laughs> a Sonos. You know, the great part of being a marginally successful indie rock star is that any room that you walk into, I don't know how they do it, but... Just about every, any room I walk into now has like a Sonos in it. Yeah, they're actually the sponsors of the, this podcast. Oh, really? Yes, they are. No shit. So they. Well, I gotta, I gotta just publicly thank Sonos for being so, so um, forthright with, uh, with their, with their, with their gear. Yeah, it's quite handy. You yeah. know, I never used to play music in my bathroom before, but now I. <laughs> I, I I I listen to the Misfits while while taking a shower, and it's a special feeling. Oh, Diamond Gloss. Yes, it's funny. Did you see that? On, is this a thing? Are you fucking with me? No, it was actually there in the in my record collection. Uh, you must be certain of the Devil, uh, an album by Diamond Gloss, yeah. and you. I think that you wanted to play me a track of hers. Yeah, yeah. I've been all I can listen to. Uh, these days is like Christian music or, or like gospel music. It's like the only thing. So w- which track of the Amadegalas did you want to play? Um, Let My People Go. Okay, let's listen to it. Yeah. The devil has designed my death and is waiting to be sure The planet of his black sheep died before he finds a cure Jesus, do you think I've served my time? The eight legs of the devil now are crawling up my spine. Well, she has a very powerful voice. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first heard about her, everyone was saying that she could shatter glass just by singing. I'm yeah. not sure if that was true, but... Yeah, I think it is. I think it's... I think there's, like... I think there's real evidence of that. One thing that I saw with my own eyes, though, was when she played her in Stockholm a few years ago, she she pounded yeah. the grand piano. I mean, yeah. she was really going at the piano. Yeah. And she hits one of the keys so hard that she breaks a string on the piano. Oh I've never seen that happen God. before. And, and the, the string goes flying through the air. Right. And everyone wonders what it, right. what it is. But it's, that is a total... That's like paranormal... Because you can only hit a piano key so hard. You know what I mean? Like, you can't... It's something vibratory. And it has to do with, with, with other strings in the piano that are, like, that are... It, it is a... It's, if you can break a piano string like that... Because I'm sure this was, like, a new... P, I'm sure that this, the piano that she used had was, like, standard issue... 
like you have to there is like it's like solving to break a piano string is like basically the equivalent of solving a rubik's cube there's like a sequential like a like an almost impossible statistical chance that you'll break a piano string so you could never pound that piano no hard enough no. to no no because it's like unlocking because you're talking about like air vibrating you're talking about like crazy ten like crazy tension shit that that is like required to to do that unless unless you're just talking about wear and tear but if you're talking about like a piano that's been prepared to you know be performed and like you know i, I don't know i don't know where she was playing anyway but um I'll break the string later. Is that Terry Richardson? Yes, those are Polaroids. That's a lot of pictures of Terry Richardson. Yes, those are self-portraits that he took Oh my once. God. Polaroids. One, two, three. For those of you at home, okay, one, two. We're talking about 30 Polaroids of Terry Richardson. Has he taken your picture? Someone help me. I need to get out of this room immediately. Um, no, he's never taken my picture. It just occurred to me why my mustache is so terrifying to people. Because it makes them think of Terry well, Richardson. Well, it makes them think of... It is a very... I, I mean, I, so this mustache is a new thing. Because he used to have a beard, right? Right. I had a beard for a long time. Like this biblical beard. Yeah. The beard was like a big, big part of my last album cycle. Because that album was so male. And like the character that I created over the course of the touring was this kind of like hyper, hyper male, like a sweaty suit wearing hyper male. And that, that sort of, that beard was like a big part of it. And this, this album, I don't know what the character's called yet. Like the character of the last album was called The Ideal Husband. The character on the first album was called The Weird American. And I think this character is, is the comedian, you know? And there's something about, like, the dandy-ish, performative quality of the mustache. It is, it's meant to be sort of unsettling. It's kind of meant to, like... Which I've had no problem doing. I accidentally looked at Twitter um, after SNL like three or four days after SNL. I was like drunk. This is what I do. I like, I, I, I will get, you get drunk. I will and get you, drunk. you Google yourself. Yeah. You know, I will get drunk and it's like four or five in the morning and I will look, I will go. The only way to get higher or drunker than I am right now is to self harm is to cause myself psychic self-harm. I'm, I'm afraid that I'm guilty of the same thing. Yeah. Or it's something like I'm so numb right now from like booze but or you need to feel pain or whatever it is yeah, yeah totally yeah. or you're like where it's like i can f i won't be able to feel it or something so you can like look at this stuff and uh <laughs> i mean i'm making this i mean let's not underestimate how serious what i'm talking about is please but <laughs> um the mustache elicits serious revulsion i mean it really disgusts people and it's so symbolic. And you, and you think that might have something to do with Terry Richardson and the way that some people are. Well, no, I think that he is like he... clearly a creep. I mean, he's, I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything new, 
that he's, I mean, he's a deeply kind of suspect individual. I'm a huge fan of his photography, but does the mustache make you feel more like uh, dirty or I think what's just dis- I think what's really disturbing about the mustache is that I actually think that I look really handsome with the mustache and I think <laughs> and I think that that is what informs what really disturbs people about it is because it's so dysmorphic or something where it's like I think but that's what really disturbs people is like he thinks that 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 he looks really good if he thinks that then God only knows what else he thinks. Like he is so disconnected from reality because he so clearly looks like borderline, like, you know, criminal, something, there's something, the mustache really tests the limits of the rational. And that makes people really uncomfortable. I'm afraid I, I can't grow a mustache because my, my, my facial hair is too, um, you know, it's not thick enough. It looks, you know, I, I literally look like a pedophile. If I try to grow a mustache. Well, that's the elephant in the room, really, is that the mustache is most commonly associated with pedophilia. So for someone to make that choice to have a mustache, when you know that they must know this, you know that they must know that a mustache is basically like the emoji of pedophilia. Like you look at the mustached emoji like the emoji with the mustache and you think oh the pedophile emoji and (laughs) knowing what we know about mustaches and about the collective wisdom about what they represent that someone would go ahead anyway and have a mustache but the 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 real the ant like the real truth behind the mustache is that after trump i went on a bender and then really drunkenly started shaving and I started shaving underneath. I have like, I have nightmares where I shave my beard off. Do you know what I mean? Like nightmares where I'm just like, Oh no, what did I do? No, like my, uh. and you know, and I have anxiety. And I, so I got like halfway through and I started to see my neck skin for the first time. And I was like, Oh my God, the nightmare is happening. The nightmare, I think that's probably where the correlation was, was like Trump, Trump nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Now I'm shaving like I do in my nightmares. I think that was the cognitive correlation. But I got as far as my neck and I was like, I cannot shave. If I were to shave the mustache off, as weird as I look with this mustache, I am like unrecognizable without without a mustache. Like I become like a completely different person and I was not ready for that. The iron hand It ain't no match On the iron run The strongest war The crumbling fall To a mighty God I think Bob Dylan reacted to the 80s in a way that I really relate to where he was just like fuck like now shit is now so fucked that I have to paint in such broad strokes that I actually that I think I actually believe in the Christian God because he saw this coming and he which is basically like the apocalypse coming and if the apocalypse is coming then you need a God 
And that's why this song exists, and that's why I love it. Yeah, I've never been a huge Dylan fan, though I, I love the songs that Nina Simone has recorded. Yeah. Like, just like Tom Tom's Blues. And, um, but he, he, yeah. You know, he, he got the Nobel Prize in Literature last year. Yeah. Which felt kind of was, awkward because, you know, they've been ignoring well, they've been ignoring American authors for 23 years, ever since right. Toni Morrison got it. And then instead of giving the Nobel Prize of Literature to, say, Joyce Carol Oates or, Joan, or Jonathan Franzen or Joan Didion, <laughs> you know, they gave no, it to I, Bob Dylan. You know, it felt I'm kidding about Jonathan Franzen. Jesus Christ, <laughs> relax. Um, you know, it's yeah, almost no. like when Barack Obama got the Nobel Peace Prize. You know, oh, it was kind of, was it was like embarrassing. Very for, weird. You know, maybe it was so embarrassing, and maybe that's why Bob Dylan didn't come here. To, they should have had like a drone put it on him. Can we talk about Barack Obama getting the Nobel Peace Prize for a second? By all means, I think that's an interesting topic. But what do you think about Barack Obama getting the Nobel Peace Prize as 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 a European? It, you know, it felt like when they gave the Nobel Peace Prize to Yasser Arafat, and I'm not, I don't remember who was the president of Israel, but. You know, Barack Obama was at war right. when he got the Nobel Peace right. Prize. The, yes, so, yes, of course. The ironies abound. Like, there are core fucking ironies. Like, like, you know, Guantanamo prison was still open of course, when he got the Nobel Peace course, Prize. So of course, of course, of course. But, but, the, but the Nobel Peace Prize, what I'm, when I'm saying that it's abstract, when I'm saying it's symbolic, it is not, like, it is, I mean, who, on that criteria, you would give the Nobel Peace peace prize to uh me like in that case like i would be a a more worthy recipient of the nobel peace prize because i've never even hit anyone you know really? like you've no. never been in a fist fight what's never no no i'm this such a fucking pussy need. man i like i <laughs> he knows you need even before you Do you know why it's impossible for an American president to have facial hair? No. I don't think that there's been a single president since right. like the 19th century right. that has had facial hair. Oh, so you, you're really asking me why? Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm just, I mean, I could speculate. Yeah. I, because I think what it is is that facial hair is subject to change. It, it's basically like if a president had a beard and then they shaved, we could bomb like 12 like weddings in Yemen on the same day and people would be talking about the fact that he had shaved. It would be like, so <laughs> it would be like, so you know what I mean? Like the president shaving would be like, it would, it, it's actually a brilliant strategy for, for any American president is to go into office with a beard and then just to do, to campaign with a beard to like, just have a beard all the time. But then when something, when you knew those fucking tax returns were coming out. Then you shave. And the and the media would not be able to no one would be able to talk about anything else other than the fact that you'd shaved. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how. I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. 
Keith Green is a wonderful Christian man who died at 28 in a plane crash and who wrote very, um, very uh, like ahead of his time, self-aware Christian music that was like largely addressed at other Christians and, and, we, and at the plight of being a Christian instead of being like fire and brimstone music aimed at non-believers. I've never heard of Keith Green before, but this is insanely beautiful. I, I love the oh, way he, he that he, he shouts scene. the lyrics to the audience right before he sings it, so they can all you know mm -hmm. join in and sing together. Yeah, that's you know that's a beautiful way of getting people involved. Actually, yeah. you're just shouting the lyrics right before you sing it. I read the sleeve notes to your new album, True Comedy, where you say that uh, life on Earth is a demented joke, and you suggest that we set a new standard. Well, that it bears more of a resemblance to a demented joke than it bears resemblance to any kind of like master plan, is what I said. And then you suggest that we set a new standard for happiness, that instead of like thinking about how, <laughs> how rich we are or you know whether we're at peace with the universe, we should just be happy the way that people used to be happy thousands of years ago, <laughs> when, you know... A, a nice day. Being happy was living through another day without right. getting eaten by a bear. Right. And there, there's this great quote from you where you suggest that we define progress in a new way as well. What if progress only meant literally progressing from one day to the next without getting violently dismembered by a nine-foot-tall, 500-pound grizzly? <laughs> you know, that is a way of defining happiness, too. Yeah. I mean, getting dismembered by a grizzly is some people's idea of a great day, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that happiness is incredibly difficult. Like f success, or fame, any of these things that are so like fame and success is this banana peel that we keep slipping on over and over. And over. We know, we know how unhappy it makes people. We know that it makes them rich. But we also know that it makes them isolated and miserable and in crisis 24 hours a day and incapable of anonymity, incapable of doing any of the normal things that are the substance of a life. But we still hold it up as this thing that like everyone wants, mostly because we're like a hyper materialist culture that, that just believe that has a has a very simple equation of like money equals painlessness. But th there must be some level of fame that's f good for you or nice. There is, like, there like, is. You know, I, I think that John Waters, the director, once said that anyone who approaches him knows him. Yes. And has, in general, nice things to say. So, the, well, he, you know, John Waters is never approached by someone who, who's just like, oh, you're that guy from TV. Or, right. You know, well, they will know what he's about. And that's why people... And he has a mustache. Like, right, has a mustache. That's why people with incredible anxiety usually seek out fame, which seems counterintuitive. But there is something... Like, anybody who's famous do not for a second believe that they did not make that happen for themselves. Because... It is a process, and you have to make choices all along that road to continue. There are a lot of moments where you can pull the ripcord and go, no, 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 I've had enough. I don't want this. Anybody who has fame has made, my, you know, myself included, like whatever. I mean, you could take my amount of fame and like drown it in the sink, but 
I still have some and I have made choices to, to have it. And a lot of it does have to do with that thing that you're talking about, that John Waters thing, where it's like a way of diffusing social anxiety because people approach you as a known quantity instead of having to prove yourself. The irony being that you then have to prove yourself in increasingly more obscene, insane ways to maintain that thing. But a lot of it does have to do with that. I mean, we forget that famous people have social, I mean, they have like, they live 24 hours a day, like any of us. And, and those 24 hours are filled with any number of like social interactions or whatever. But you're talking about people who are so anxious that those interactions are worth diffusing by taking the most insane route imaginable, namely fame. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, there was a time when I had a beard down to like my abdomen and that felt like a normal length beard to me. Is that actually a psychological term, beard dysmorphia? <laughs> it is now. Yeah, DBS is what it's <laughs> called. <laughs> is what it's called in the psychiatric community. But you can have a beard that's like down to here for the, you at home. I'm pointing to like my fourth shirt button. And it feels like a normal beard. Now, when I look at pictures of myself with that beard, I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Why, you know, like, I see it for what it was, which is like, basically like the I am beard guy beard. Identify as a human, as someone with a beard, which is like a truly pathetic state of being. You know, actually, Michael Stipe was sitting in that chair a few months ago with oh. a, a huge Yeah, beard. do you I'm think sure. he might have had beard dysmorphia as well? Um, absolutely, he would say the same. Because it thing. went down to his balls, you know. Yeah, was... if he was sitting here, he would say the same thing. He would say, he'd say, "No, this is like a normal beard length." Like, yeah, he'd he'd be like, "Yeah, I know it's a little long," but his idea of a little long is like comes comes up way short of what it actually is because it because it's this process, it's this long process of acceptance. You you learn to accept more and more extreme lengths as normal and this is fame you wake up one day and you and you go holy shit this has gotten too long this beard has gotten too long even for me now if anyone if tom cruise could somehow miraculously get brain wiped and become like a normal Sit and become a citizen, just like your average citizen. And then, if you were to show him pictures of Tom Cruise, the Tom Cruise, he would go, "That's the most fucked up thing I've ever seen in my life." No one should have that level of fame. That is, that man must be miserable. And then you'd go, Tom Cruise, that was you before Josh Tillman wiped your brain <laughs> with his beard, and he would. And then he would die a psychic death. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyona Adonai. Going with my theme of Christian songs, very sentimental Christian music. This is El Shaddai by Amy Grant. El Shaddai, El Hamkana Adonai. Shall die through your love. 
So how come how come you got into Christian music so much? Well, you know, oh, recently? Every single song that you've played here has been Yeah, because it just I don't quite know. Christian. I because but I mean you grew up in a very Christian home, right? Yeah. My parents were just kind of your average um suburban Protestant evangelical Christians with some weird psychological issues that really made things interesting. The the school I went to in fourth grade was a speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues? Yeah. How, how do you do that? How, how do you... Well, it turns out that your first day of school, uh, a bunch of classmates gather around you and start speaking gibberish until you realize that you're not getting out of this situation until you make something up which i did after about 15 minutes and then from that day onward every morning for there was like 15 minutes of like uh, mandatory prayer language time and it would just <laughs> it was just like 11 kids in a room like speaking gibberish out loud is that something that you could use while making music just you know letting yourself go completely yeah no i do it i do it a lot i sing you know if you hear me sing i sing a lot of non-verbal like i like i sing oh all the time like oh. um i do it all the time in my concerts like i sing oh like i, I yeah singing non-verbally is really psychedelic El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of the name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Kamkana Adonai. I will pray. There's a line in your new song, Leaving LA, that I found quite unsettling you, you you sing about your your first memory when you nearly choked to death on um, a piece of candy in a department store while a radio was playing Fleetwood Mac's <laughs> Little Lies in the background yeah and it's just that I, I can I have a one-year-old son and he's you know he's crawling around on the floor and he puts everything in his mouth and I'm so afraid of him choking yeah. on something right so I could totally relate oh, to God. that moment oh so God wh- wh- yeah. what happened exactly you uh Okay, first, were you, were you able to first what I'd like to do, can you look up, look up the year Sweet Little Lies came out. Um, I was talking to this uh, psychologist in Denmark, and he was telling me that everyone has a lost in the mall memory. Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac came out in 1987. Tell me lies. Nineteen eighty-seven. Okay, so that's 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 about right. So that's, you were five, I was born five in years old. So I was like, oh, yeah, six years five, old. five, six. Yeah. If my math is so, who saved <clears throat> you? Because you were choking. Some guy, um, some random. This is my, me- you know, memory is like uh, obviously memory is like so. You cannot trust your memory. You, like you know what I mean. Like memory is like a creative act. But I want to say that he had on. 
there was this certain type of stitching that was really common in the 80s where um, very sporadic, like it would be like pink, white, and blue stitching on like. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today like a brown like a brown coat and then this like really erratic kind of smattering of like little stitching squares it sounds like like a bill cosby sh- sweater yeah no it was like or- sm- less garish than that but but it was like uh i i don't know the name for it but i remember like looking at the shoulder of this guy and looking as i was choking like looking at the little threads in his on in the you know, like left shoulder of his jacket or or of his overcoat. And then he gave me like the Heimlich. Uh, I remember the sound of like the candy, like skittering, you know, across the like, you know, the floor. And my mom, you know, screaming. We had a very dark kind of, it was a very dark scene. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, she loves me. You know, like she's worried that I'm gonna that I'm gonna die. And you like were she's surp- like you were surprised by realizing that. Yeah, that it, she was, loved it was just sort of this like animal thing, you know, that like, you know, you're a kid and you're thinking like, oh my god, like if I died, she would be really sad, you know, like maybe this first moment in life of like not taking one's existence for granted, but all the while this fucking song is playing this peppy song i just remember thinking like this is this is a joke like i'm in the i'm like on a i'm on like another godless trip to the mall with my getting dragged around the mall and this weird song this is playing all these things at once you know like the revulsion the uh I had a very like kind of cynical react, you know, I was like, this is how, this is how I'm going to die. He's like in this, with this, over this weird person's shoulder, 
at the mall, you know, as a child with this song playing, but my mom loves me. And so it's okay. Somebody just look back over your life and see where it brought you from. How many of you know prayer changes? I heard that prayer changes. I believe that prayer changes. I know that prayer changes things. Prayer changes. I heard that prayer changes. I believe that prayer changes. I know that prayer changes things. This uh, is an R. Kelly song called Prayer Changes, which makes me. There's this one. There's this one. So it's like these three verses this like family, this family's life. But you don't realize that they're all in the same family until the very end. You realize they're all in the same family. And he fucking wraps this thing in a fucking bow at the end, and it's just so life-affirming. Um, but yeah, prayer changes. So, so hard. My God, sometimes I'd fall. Mama asked what happened to me. And I take up for him. She said the devil's a liar. And pray God get rid of him. And now I'm going to school. Hitting those books, I'm doing fine. He's out my life. I'm not confused. Got peace of mind. Man, I tell you. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes. Prayer changes. Prayer changes things. What I love about R. Kelly is there's so much space in his arrangements. I think once the trap thing took off and it was just like this frantic, like these triplets like all over the place, you know, like and and every fucking it seriously is the equivalent of like in rock music where you like you have to hit a fill like every four bars, you know, you've got to go like and it gives you no there's no tension and that's like what drives me insane about most like modern r&b is like it's just so like it's so everything all the time my future could not see i had lost all my beliefs and gave up on all this track is about people being helped by praying have you prayed a lot yourself i pray a lot these days so you you do believe in god even though no 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 i believe in i believe that like you seek i I believe that like you are only going to interact with god through other people So Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac is not something that you would put put on now and listen to. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. And it, it honestly fills me with like not like kind of like the you know that feeling like that low that blood sugar kind of crash. I see I since I didn't grow up on any of this music, I mean to be honest like when when I hear Michael Jackson, I feel nothing. I just think like uh like uh yeah, like I I get it. It doesn't like move me you know you know what i mean that whole era of music of like pop music it doesn't do anything for me i just because i missed that boat i don't have any no one likes anything objectively we only like music for like weird 
like abstract sentimental reasons and and people who do like reason music for objective reasons are music critics who yeah, but what would who, be an objective who understand reason to... who understand music about as much as i understand sculpture yeah I, i think it's difficult to even you know call something objective when you right. talk about music of course everything makes you think yeah, of something else of course so, that's that's the beauty that's like you know that's the harmonic structure of of the appreciation of everything it's like the way the air smelled when you heard it or like the time of life that you were in when you heard something and those those see now we're so deranged like we think like that we're post enlightenment you know whatever but like those that subjectivity actually makes the enjoyment of a music it doesn't make it inauthentic it it deepens it it makes it so much more rich I have this experience all the time where like I take a band on tour, you know, and I I don't really know anything about them. I know I maybe know a little bit about them, but then we go on tour and we play 30 shows together and we hang out every night and we're doing this and we're having this shared experience and all of a sudden I fucking love their music. You know, I've heard it I know it. I brought them on tour because I'd heard it and I liked it. But then after that tour, then I'm like, oh, this is this shit is fucking beautiful, you know? And I know what's going on. It's like now I know them, now I love them. And there's something, you know, in in their music that is now there's some skin in the game, you know? It's like now uh, now it's a living breathing thing. It's not just some like bullshit like critical mental process. You let me violate you You let me desecrate you You let me penetrate you We've listened to a lot of Christian music. I'd like to play you something a bit more secular. Mm. Help me. I broke apart my insides See, I disagree. This is a fucking this is a this is a god song. You think so? Oh hell yes. This is Closer by Nine Inch Nails, which you've played a few times live, yeah. and I remember you introduced this song with the classical words. It's a little sappy, but I'd like <laughs> to play you my favorite love song. Oh how delightfully arch. God, that Josh Tillman. He just he is just incorrigible. You know why that's a God song? Why? Tell me. Okay. <laughs> Because the most prominent figure in a Christian's life is Satan, and the most prominent figure in an atheist's life is God. Oh, the, people, most, the most prominent people, figure in my teenage life was Trent Reznor. Totally. That's because you were a Christian all along, and you're going to heaven, whether you like it or not. But like for someone like him, for someone like for that kind of music, the, this misconception that it's like about evil and about dark and whatever, nobody is like that. Okay. Still on this album, he sings, "Your God is dead, and no one cares. If there is a yes. hell, I'll see you there." Yes, because but don't you see what a tacit 
what a tacit endorsement that is of a God-centered worldview. That's an interesting viewpoint. It is. Nobody goes like, nobody says like, there is no God. Everything sucks because there is no God unless they really want there to be a God. And God only exists by virtue of us wanting him to exist. One interesting thing about this song is that Trent Reznor wrote it about like intense depression. Totally. And then it turned into this sex anthem. It yeah. took on a life oh, of right. its own. Fuck, and yeah. you know, it, well, it always appears on way. it always appears on lists of the best music for strippers to take their clothes off to. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Strippers know what's up. Strippers you know, it's, know it's right next to Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye or Darling Nikki by Prince. Right. Speaking of strippers, by the way, I think... I'm a stripper. Don't you realize that? Don't you realize what I do is actually I think they stripping say, you, they say, they, they say that they're exotic dancers. Um, yeah, but no, not stripper. Like, they don't... Yeah, I mean, stripping in that song is makes perfect sense. I don't think that, like, there's a lot of things about that song or the way that people identify with that song that don't... Like, because there are people who listen to that song and think, like, yeah, sexual violence. Fuck yes. Yes, fucking like an animal. That's what, that, like, one-to-one, literal, like, that is, that is uh, terrifying and it, monstrous and, and just dumb. And those people shouldn't, and mo- I mean, most people shouldn't be allowed to listen to music. You know what I mean? Because they use it in the way that the military uses music. The military weaponizes music. They will, like, torture people with music. True Comedy, your new album is in large parts about the world coming to its end. About Mm -hmm. the apocalypse. No. No. Really? No. It's, It's not... It felt quite if pessimistic. We st- if we know? start at the end of the album... Well, you find some kind of peace at the end, but... Well, it's not about the end of the world. It's about the fact that we always think we're living in the end of the world. Every generation has thought that they were living. Because that makes the them feel the important, right? Yeah, that's the comedy. Is that like every generation thinks the second generation of human beings <laughs> thought it was the end. They thought, oh my God, we're never going to survive. We're never going to survive this shit. Like our, like the the key, like the where all the semen is held is in a diaphanous crepe, like dangling between my legs at like saber tooth tiger level. Like we're never going to make it, and and all they have to do is wipe out like the six of us. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I am not a scientist. This is pure speculation. This is basically the equivalent of like a Far Side cartoon, but. Every generation thinks it's the end, you know, because we're so vain and we're so like poetic and philosophical and insane. Yeah, because it's a good feeling living at the end of time. Yeah, because we're kind of narcissists. So we think like that when if that if we're going to die, everything's going to die. We really think yeah, that's like what did Napoleon say after me? Um, the downfall. Right. Flames so hot that they turn blue. This is a track that you appeared in the video too. Palms reflecting in your eyes Like an endless summer That's the way I feel for you 
That's my girl. Lana Del Rey's freak. If time stood still, I'd take this moment, make it last forever. Do you know why she wanted you to act in a video about tripping on acid? Because you you were acting, right? Yeah, no, those those were like breath strips. <laughs> Clearly. Well, I don't know. Can I tell you? I want to put this on the record just somewhere. Okay. This fucking perception of her, which has se- seems to have like waned in recent years. That she's in some way like a fraud or something. It makes me want to kill the world. Because this is someone who is like... We're talking about someone for whom cynicism is not like... a Like, like doesn't exist for her. And, and that's not even to say that she's like some kind of drooling savant or something. She knows what she's doing. But there's like... when When this like claim of... When this like charge of like weird calculated cynicism was brought against her just as someone who knows her it's frustrating but also when you look at like what passes for it took like taylor swift getting busted on snapchat or whatever it was for people to even go like huh i think there might be something disingenuous about this whole thing huh hmm let me get out my magnifying glass and my and my sleuth cap but there might be something about this that's a little weird. Lana is a fucking genius. Like a melodic genius. A lyrical genius. You know, you're kind of preaching to the choir here. because I, I, I hope I, so. I, I think she's the best artist of this decade. The, no, like she the most is, interesting artist to come along in a very long time. And, and understands that in the postmodern era, that part of being iconic is recognizing iconography. She's just playing... She is playing 12-dimensional chess, but totally subconsciously, because she's too fucking good. She's not like me. Like, I'm like a deranged little, like, worm man who has to, like, re- you know, like, fucking fuck, you know, consider every everything and ruin my life, St- you know, still I, overthinking I shit. Lana is the real fucking deal. I've never seen anyone come up with lyrics and melodies that were so dead on in with such effortlessness. Still, I think that you have a, quite a few things in common. Most of all, that you both created these larger-than-life characters when you, you know, started to make music. Like Elizabeth Grant became Lana Del Rey, and Joshua Tillman became Father John Misty. Right. Like, by, by putting on masks, you kind of became more authentic and more real than you were before you put on those masks. Well, masks, there is like, we forget that like masks have been around for a real fucking long time. And we want to pretend that our air, our age is so pure and authentic that like we don't need masks anymore. 
you fucking kidding me? For people like Lana and I, we understand that the definition of grotesque, that grotesque doesn't mean a big, flashy, scary mask. It means a mask that looks human, but has like one tweak that makes it really disturbing. If you're going to get on stage, then fucking put something cool on and put on a fucking show. Don't stand up there and pretend like you just got off the fucking squash farm, you know? Like, uh, fuck that. I, I, you... I, can't, I can't believe how good this tequila is. No, it's so good. Cheers. Um, but and I haven't had tequila for ages. This ri- is... Oh, tequila's the best. It's the only... Um... This is Reposado, 100% agave. It's the only upper... It's out of alcohol, which I hear is an old wives' tale, but I choose to believe it. I don't even feel drunk. I feel energetic. Famous last words. You know what? Fuck her. It's true. It is true. Because I have drank whiskey like so infrequently in the last, I don't know. it's, It's been fucking years now. I won't go anywhere near whiskey. I had whiskey a f- like a few months ago. It fucked me up up i had the spins i haven't had the spins in like 10 years you know i'm, I'm so old i can't drink whiskey because i get such hangovers no. you know willie nelson said the only thing that ever hurt me was brown and he was talking about whiskey of course. sorry about whiskey yeah and you know that guy he if he was hanging out with whalen cheers and he was doing cocaine you know, Waylon Jennings didn't drink. He never drank. He just did cocaine. <laughs> like a guy who just partied on cocaine. No booze. I don't even know what that would be like. Because booze mitigates the effects of cocaine. I guess he really loved cocaine. And no, he... Then he decided to get sober. Yeah, but he got sober fucking a day too late have you read his autobiography ever? no i haven't i highly recommend it it is insane it is so poorly written until the moments when it's fucking shakespeare he goes on to these like these tangents where he just goes like fully psychedelic and like totally like anachronal like uh anachronistic anachronistic thank you jesus i was about to try to say anachronological <laughs> anachronological he goes anachronistic and just jumps around and it becomes incredible and he tells these stories about like him and his running buddy taking speed and driving around driving whatever that interstate is in texas and just like hitting pinball places like taking speed and then just driving through Texas, playing pinball. Sunday morning brings the dawn It's just a restless feeling by my side. I'd like to play you a song that you've covered live a few times, I think. I was listening to this uh, last Sunday because it you know, this album, it was precisely 50 years since it was released. Uh, the, Vel- the Velvet Underground and Nico, the Banana album. It's been 50 it's years. It's 50 years old. Jesus Christ. And it was funny because I used to play this song on Sundays when I was, you know, hungover. 
or just wasted from the night before. So this was really a soundtrack to you know being messed up. And now yeah. I played it while making banana smoothie for my kids. Oh. So the banana was still there and you know but it was just in a totally new context oh. and it was still a great song. Absolutely. That's I mean I I mean I have nothing to add to that. That's perfection. So, Father John, here's a song that I... The first time I heard your music, I came to think of this album, which was recorded by one of the most underrated drummers of all time. So I assume perhaps you can relate to... Oh, you know the the, 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 preju- the prejudice that drummers go through. You know there were a lot of <sighs> drummer jokes, like yeah. you know what, what was the last thing the drummer said before being kicked out of the band? Oh oh, uh, no, you tell me. Guys, okay. I wrote a few songs. <laughs> anyway, here's a great drummer. You know how he died? You know he died like in the fetal position. Dennis Wilson, the River Song the, the, of the Bay. Yeah, he was the only beach boy who surfed, and right. he was also the only beach boy who drowned, but not surfing though. He no, he was diving for his shit that he had thrown off his boat, like in a coke, like bender. And then he he drowned. He went to go try to like salvage. He went to go like diving to get his stuff back. But they say that when they found him. He was curled up, like peacefully, in the fetal position. On the is, bottom of the, the ocean? Yes, yes, which is like not how, which is not, I guess, the state that you typically find people in when they've drowned. So he had like fully... You know, I've, re- like, I've read a lot of things about the Beach Boys, but I didn't know that thing. Yeah. I, in the if, fetal position if at you, the bottom of the ocean. If you find out otherwise, don't tell me, because I need this story. Sure. <laughs> On your new record, you've worked with um, Gavin Bryars. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we could listen to his song, Jesus' Blood Never Failed Me Yet. I'm not sure if you've heard this one. Never failed me yet. Never failed me yet. Jesus' blood never failed me yet. This can't be, I know. So Gavin Bryars is a British classical avant-garde composer and he, he did the string arrangements for your new album. Yeah, on the, which on the, I feel like... On the choral arrangements as well. Yeah. And which, this track was uh, him recording a homeless person in the street in London. 
It was a, it was a movie. And then building like a, yeah, a symphony uh, around his voice. Yeah, it was a movie that his friend was making, a documentary that his friend was making, and he just happened to hear that because he was going through editing the footage. Like when I think about music and what music is for and what music can do, I think about that piece of music or my first homage or sinking of the Titanic or like pieces of music that you can like live to, you know, like that are like life saving pieces of music in the, in a perfect world, Gavin Breyer's involvement in this record would be the talking point of this record. Every interviewer would be going, Gavin Breyers, Gavin Breyers, Gavin Breyers, you know, if we lived in like a good world. He had never done anything like this before, you know, and like he came into the studio and did something he'd never done before at 80. That's where I would, you know, God, I should be so lucky, you know, amazing. Cheers. I'd like to play one last song. Here's a another song that you've played live I love Rihanna's voice so this is Kiss It Better there was a kind of a weird 80s like heavy metal guitar solo at yeah. the beginning at the beginning of the song yeah that's which is not something that you would expect from an album that was released like in 2016 no, it's gross i mean this is contentious because like i know the guy who produced that song and i know the story behind that song and i know that the original guitar part like was way cooler but you know it feels but, but, it, it feels ironic in a way yeah but the, i don't like that i mean it's like the song succeeds despite the grossness of that tone and like the hand it, it's gross like the but the song is so beautiful like i don't like things i hate ironic music This has been wonderful. Like I, we, we will, we're gonna turn the laptop off, and then we're gonna continue to talk about just deliciously scintillating tequila. Like, yeah, tequila. It's gonna like you're gonna miss. You know, this is the best everything. tequila I've ever had. It is. I'm uh, so we're, glad that you, can you know we're not, we're not having it, it with you know lemon and salt or anything. No, no, no. This, this works is, on its own. Oh yeah, this is so good, darling. I, darling, this is like, I, like I am loving this. This is fucking. You know, it's wonderful. been a true pleasure having you here, Father. Thank Tom. you, my pleasure.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.